This is the Mentor Shift Podcast, coming out every second Thursday with Mickey Fahair. Hey men, welcome to Mentor Shift. If you're here, you're probably like me. Sometimes you feel like you carry the entire world on your shoulders and it's heavy and you want to get together with some fellow men and listen to their inspirational stories and be inspired and inspire others. So welcome, you've come to the right place. I want to start by asking you two things. If you like what we do, first of all, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform all you have to do is one click and you will get all of our episodes as they come out secondly give us a rating ratings are hugely important for us they get us more listeners please give us two minutes one minute and just give us a good rating and thirdly if you want to give us Uh, your appreciation, you could go to our sponsor's website. Our sponsor is MindsetMaps.com. So www.MindsetMaps.com and do your Mindset Map inventory. It's a free tool and it's going to give you an idea of whether your mindset is actually supportive and aligned um, regarding important life and business goals that you have set out for yourself. Perhaps you assume that that's always like that, but I'm telling you it's not. If you haven't done it, try it, get out of your autopilot and take charge of your mindset. Thanks for being here. And now let's get to the episode. So a warm welcome to Alan and Jess, and let me introduce you a little bit. And, you know, January was the Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and, you know, Alan Smith and and Jessica Mitkiff, um, they're two advocates of the fight against human trafficking, and they're also co-authoring this book called Men Fight for Me, the role of authentic masculinity in ending sexual exploitation and trafficking. So I thought, you know, this would be a wonderful place to talk about this since this podcast is about authentic masculinity and modern masculinity. So thank you very much for accepting the invitation and being here. We are honored to be here. Thanks for having us, Nikki. Good to have you. And, um, you know, just a a little bit more um, about both of you. So uh, I know that, Alan, you served as the executive director of Saving Innocence, which is an anti-human trafficking community-based organization in LA and you were sort of overseeing the direct services and the business operations. Um, Those of the people who are interested in learning more about this organization, they could go to www.savinginnocence.org. And by the way, the book uh, Fight For Me also has a a webpage, which is www.fightforme.net, but we'll talk more about that. And um, I know that you're a a dad, Um, you you have... uh, three lovely lovely kids so so we might touch on that too and and we have Jess here who is what we call a true lived experience expert um, because she has actually survived 10 years of commercial and sexual exploitation and she became you know a, an advocate 
Um, and she's now, um, she's been recognized in several ways, but for example, in 2015, she was recognized as the woman, woman of the year in Los Angeles County for this extraordinary work in the field. So really great to have you in. And I, I wanna start by the first question because I was you know, looking at the cover of your book you know, be part of the solution or something like that. It's right behind you. The role of often, yeah, right. And 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 so the question is, if you can be part of the solution, that sort of implies that. Well, but you're part of a problem right now. So, so how how is that working? Like, what what is the problem, and how are we part of it as men? Yeah, oh, thank, that's a great question. Um, yeah, the cover of the book is behind me, and you actually, you mixed between the cover of the book and our website, fightforme.net, the opening right. page says, be part of the solution. Right. And um, the cover of the book does talk about the role of authentic masculinity. So all those to all work together. And um, yeah, no, you're bringing up an interesting question <clears throat> that if you're going to be part of the solution, that means there must be a problem. And there absolutely is a problem. And so why are we addressing primarily men? Um, because men are the problem. Um, hmm. And somebody might say, well, which problem are you talking about? And then I might say, I don't know, pick one. Uh, it, it's hard to find a, a problem out in society that a bunch of knucklehead men aren't behind. Um, but in this case, the problem of commercial sexual exploitation, the buying and selling of people, it's known as the modern day slavery, um, is that most of the buyers are men and most of the sellers or the traffickers are men. Men are indisputably the problem. And so we are attempting to reach out to the male audience. And I love the name of your and the theory of your podcast. You're trying to shift the way men are thinking and society's viewing men. And in this space, absolutely, um, we need to have this conversation with men. Yeah, thank you. Uh, by, the, by the way, you know, I consider myself fairly let's use the word enlightened and, you know, progressive. But to be honest, when I read a few numbers about human trafficking, I, I had no idea. So, you know, I was reading that 21 million people, actually there are estimations between 20 to 40 million people worldwide. And we know that um, we're, you know, human trafficking is one of the largest issues facing humanity. There are more slaves in the world than the population of London, New York, and Los Angeles combined. So that, that kind of shocked me, you know, like putting it in, in, into this perspective. The question is, though, you know, most people, let's say they're well read and they know a little bit about this problem. But how do you get into this work? I'm, I'm, I'm curious and maybe, you know, handing the question to Jess first, like, so how did you decide that this would be your life calling and you would be working on this issue? Oh, it's so funny. Um, after kind of leaving the life and everything behind, um, I had someone very close to me that became ill. And I decided that I was going to kind of be like their nurse at home. And that was something that kind of pushed me moving in the direction of helping others. Now, I've always wanted to help others. I always had this thought in my mind, even being in the life that I was helping in some way. Um, and I actually kind of fell into the work because I didn't even know that this work was really around. Um, I went back to a program that I was able to go through and do um, basically, a, a, I was able to go back to the place. I'm starting over again. 
<laughs> I was able to All go right. back to the place that I had uh, been in, you know, before um, and volunteer. And then I was actually hired on. As time moved on, um, I was actually asked by um, some folks from LA County Probation to come and speak to their kids. And from there, it was like history. I started working with kids and then eventually I was able to um, be fully employed with Saving Innocence. But throughout that whole thing, I just kind of figured, I was like, this is where I really need to be. This is where I need it. This is where I've been called to. Um, and I've just kind of stuck with it every step of the way. It's not easy, you know, but it is fulfilling to know that I'm helping in probably one of the biggest ways possible. So I just kind of fell into this. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been with Saving Innocence for, was it six years now, Alan? Yeah. Six years now. I've been doing the work for over 10 years and I just love it. I'm not going anywhere for no, no time soon. So, yeah. Mickey, I, I affectionately refer to Jessica oftentimes as a secret weapon, um, because as you mentioned earlier, I'm the executive director of this anti-trafficking agency. And we have a lot of amazing people there, um, mostly women, but there's a few men. And um, we love having Jessica on our team because um, she, I, I say it this way, she sees things that we don't see. She knows things that we don't know, and she'll feel things we don't feel um, because of her, her lived experience expertise. And so for us, uh, working in this space with mostly traumatized children, um, we absolutely need Jessica and others with that same background on our team uh, because we really couldn't do the work without her and without them. Thank you, John. Love, love the sound of that. You know, I I am also um, a therapist by profession, and um, as a therapist, you know, one of the notions that we uh, work with is that your wound, your emotional wound or trauma could also become the source of your calling. And if you can transform the wound into a gift, then you can give that to the world and you know, hopefully make something wonderful out of it. And, and it's, 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 it's a wonderful thought, but it's so hard to, to actually live it and, and do it. So hats off, you know, I don't have a hat on, but I would lift it. <laughs> <laughs> Alan has a great yeah. story and how he kind of got into this work too. Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> oh, wow. You guys are on the same page. Well, I've been here. I've been here just a little longer than Jessica, a little, just six years, basically came on roughly the same time. And so um, that my entire adult life, I was going another direction in a nonprofit business, working with kids, but not, you know, not trafficking related. And I stepped away from that after 25 years and cold called Saving Innocence because uh, I'd heard about their work, but I didn't know about the work. And I, I said, I'm a dad with a daughter. I have a son also. And just two kids, by the way. Mickey, you gave me credit for a third. Did I? <laughs> um, okay. <Apologies. laughs> uh, but I'm a dad with a daughter. And most of the most of the kids that are swept up into this are little girls. And so it immediately had took up a lot of space in my heart to find out what's going on. And, and um, you know, so I just, my, my car drove itself to the front door of Saving Innocence and uh, sat down with the founder had a two hour conversation on a one hour parking meter. So I collected my parking ticket and paid it off. But um, <laughs> I was just sort of captured in the best sense of that term right away with this idea that there are humans and specifically we focus on children that are swept into the worst kind of child abuse you can possibly imagine. We've had survivors tell us that six, eight, 10, 12, 15 encounters, maybe more on a busy day, every single day with a strange man being bought and sold like a piece of property and um, just absolutely repulsive behavior 
that's happening all across our country in a big way. And you mentioned numbers before. Yeah, the, the worldwide numbers, somewhere between 20, 30 and 40 million. Uh, IJM is an international organization. They said 40 million at one point recently. Um, in terms of children being sold, exploited and sold in our country, I think conservative numbers, most people agree there's at least 300,000 um, children, minors, being owned by a third party, controlled, and then being put for sale either online or on the street and being violated a dozen times a day, every single day. And um, one, one of our amazing survivors tells her story on a video uh, at Saving Innocence and says, um, you know, by the time I was 12 years old, I'd already been raped 4,000 times. Those were her words. And she stayed in that life for another three years. So it's just, it's it's over the top, ridiculous, repulsive, repugnant. And so, as I mentioned earlier, men are primarily the perpetrators. And um, that's where Jessica and I and a number of others teamed up to create a message uh, specifically for men. A lot of women are reading this book as well, and they're getting a lot out of it. But um, there's an extra emphasis using my male voice, reaching into the heart and mind and soul of men and challenging them to, to live better and different. Yeah, because, you know, the, the other thing is that people, I think, underestimate. So one is the number of people that may be, you know, subject to this. But then, you know, how much of that could happen here in the United States? So we, I think we like to think that, oh, you know, that's happening somewhere else in Africa or in the Middle East or, you know, in the Balkans. But, but no, right? It, it's happening under our noses in, in our cities in the United States every day, as you say. Well, and that's a, that's a big misnomer and mistake that a lot of people can think. And I myself, six years ago, when they, I heard about Saving Innocence. I said, oh, what are they in Thailand? What, what do you mean? No, right here. What do you mean right here? And um, the vast majority of these kids that we're taking care of are U.S.-born American citizens. These aren't, you know, there's a lot of chaos happening on our southern border right now in this, this time. And there are some people being trafficked in, for sure. But the vast majority are are, are kids from our communities. These are American citizens that are growing up in the United States of America being violated in such a horrific way. Pretty unbelievable. Um, I, I want to um, kind of go to the next question, which, you know, okay, so you both joined this organization, but how did you two decide that you're going to write the book? Because it's a man and a woman, and it's kind of an interesting story for me. Like, I'm sure it's intentional. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wasn't by accident. And when you and all your readers get a chance to read the book, I'm gonna, we're going to tell that story in the book. But mm-hmm. the short version here is uh, when I came to Saving Innocence six years ago, I realized, um, you know, what we just already talked about, that the biggest part of the problem is men. And then I would go to any sort of a training, not to mention our own staff meeting at Saving Innocence, but any kind of an event on a Saturday, an awareness event in a, in a community or some kind of a county training, it's almost all women there. There's no men as part of the solution. And that, that really bothered me. You know, where are all the men? Let's go, guys. You know, this is on us. Right. And, and then um, there was an event that Jessica spoke at several years ago um, with a number of people kind of on a panel, 200 people in the room. And sitting next to Jessica was a woman named Rachel who tells her story in chapter three of our book in her first person voice. And she said something really powerful that day. Um, in the middle of relaying her trauma, what she had gone through, she said, I, I gave up. I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. And, and that really lit a fire in me. It kind of brought things together. Okay, the biggest problem is part of the problem is men. 
There's very few men as part of the solution. And I have a survivor right there telling me that she gave up and, and she could no longer fight and she needed someone to fight for her. And that just gave me some clarity. Okay, I think I'm supposed to use my male voice because there's who knows how many survivors out there that are stuck in this mess and they give it up and they don't see any way out and they need some outside pressure, outside forces, outside people slash men to take up this fight. And so I was inspired to, I didn't know what it was going to be or how it was going to turn out, but to basically write this book. And then I'll turn it over to Jessica. I approached Jessica and a number of others. And, you know, you can fill in why you said yes and what you're thinking about with this book, Jess. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I trust Alan yeah. with everything. And it just came to the time where I was like, yeah, I think I'm ready to go ahead and contribute um, and do my part. And why not do it with someone that I know I'm 100% safe with? And the fact that my survivor sisters get to be a part of this too, um, and just how we're all looked after and, you know, how careful he is with us, um, it, it definitely reassured like the whole process and me saying yes to begin with. And so it's really been a blessing to be asked to be a part of this and, you know, share some really wise and great words and do it with a really wise and great guy. Alan is like, he's my guy. He's mm -hmm. like my real guy. So <laughs> um, he is one of the very few men that I fully 100% trust with my life, my words and everything. So that's how it can happen. Yeah. I, I, I love that. You know, you, you just brought up two. Uh, I, I guess two qualities that uh, are very, very important for modern masculinity. And, you know, one, one is safety, like, you know, how do you make other people safe? And, you know, the, the other is authenticity, right? Like, how do you stay true to yourself? And, and, and if you don't mind, Jess, you know, can I throw a question back at you? Um, so Alan just mentioned that it's, <laughs> it's all women participating in these workshops and, you know, they tend to be, you know, immediately more drawn to this work. So from where you sit, what keeps men from being more involved? Yeah, I think it, it's a number of things. Being scared to say something, possibly being a part of the culture of going to the strip clubs or viewing the pornography or whatever the case is. So it's like, I can't really say anything. Um, and then, you know, possibly just kind of being pushed away a little bit because there were a lot of strong women that were afraid of, um, you know, like, why is this person here? What are his motives? Because this is a really sticky topic and we do definitely work with kids hands-on. And so, um, you know, it's just kind of like a protective stance, but it's been great because Alan's kind of reinforced, um, you know, for men to be a part of and sit at the table and show like, hey, there are healthy men here. Um, and there are a lot of women now that are definitely open to men joining in the fight. Um, at, at different capacities, not just like at a law enforcement capacity or so on and so forth, but um, actually doing like hands-on work and knowing that they're trustworthy. Um, and men are starting to understand like, hey, it's okay if I stand apart from the crowd, if even if they don't accept me speaking up, um, like it's okay. And we're starting to see a shift in men definitely. But I know Alan can speak more into, mm -hmm. you know, men not being a part at the table, so to speak, for a long time as a man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I think it was very interesting to hear it from you because I was curious, you know, what, what's your perspective? And I'm also curious about Alan's, definitely. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think a, a really big contributing factor why more people like men or women haven't been involved, they haven't known about it. It's been in the shadows. It's been misunderstood. The wrong language has been used around it for the longest time. 
minor children be referred to as child prostitutes. And, um, and so a lot of what our work has done, in addition to the hands-on work with the kids, is beginning to change the language and reframe it and, and correctly name it. This is child abuse. No one is choosing to be out there. Um, and so, you know, it, it, people haven't understood it. And so there's more podcasts like this and documentaries and things like that that are talking about it. So now the possibility, um, there could be more people, men and women. But as far as specifically men, uh, I think it's a lack of courage and it's a lack of leadership uh, on the part of men. I think men um, in general, not every man, of course, but just uh, in terms of the big category, um, you know, the men right now, anyone in their 30s or 40s, maybe 50s, for sure 20s, 30s and 40s, they grew up with a steady stream of absolutely repulsive song lyrics being celebrated by society. And some of the richest, most popular artists we have have made millions of dollars, received all kinds of fame. And if you look at most of their lyrics, it's demeaning and degrading women and demeaning and degrading sex and referring to them and talking to them like they're disposable commodities. That's what our little kids are being brainwashed in. The media messaging is not one that values life and it's not one that values women. And so now you have these young boys growing up thinking it's normal because all the adults in the room seem to think it's okay. And they're giving the halftime show at the Super Bowl in next week to two or three of the worst offenders in this and their song lyrics. So it must be okay, right? That's the way you're supposed to think about women and sex. So there's a large tidal wave that we have to push against. And we're going to need all hands on deck. And we need all you men to step up and take a look at what this is and join this fight uh, to squash it. Right. So, so I was going to ask you, you know, right behind you, man, fight for me is the calling. And as you said, you know, this comes from Rachel. Um, yes. Which, and, and so, so what is the fight, you know, what is the fight that the average man could put up? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing our listeners, you know, these guys are, you know, I don't know, teachers, lawyers, business guys, um, and they're sitting in, in, in their living room or, you know, they're on, on their treadmill running and they're like, oh, sex trafficking. So what can I do? So what, what's the calling for action? Yeah. Uh, and again, in the book, we go into great detail. There's, you know, lists of things you could do today. There's a chapter eight. We call it the name of the title of the chapter is called Looking in the Mirror. And it starts, the fight and the battle starts within the inner man, within the man himself. He's got to look in the mirror and the fight there is on his doorstep to make sure every man is living his life congruently and in sync with a culture that doesn't exploit women and doesn't demean sex. So uh, most men are not out buying sex in a motel room with an, an adult or a child, but most men are contributing to this problem in other ways. For example, Jessica just mentioned it. Um, you know, a man going to a strip club on a Friday night or any night is paying money to go into. That's buying sex. Uh, a man or anyone, but in a man looking at pornography, which is a huge percentage of men, that is contributing to this problem. People are being exploited on the screen. Now, is every single person being exploited? Is it, are there a small number of men or women that are there on their own choice? Maybe, but you don't know which ones they are. And by you showing up watching pornography, we have, we quote this in the book, we've had survivors of sex trafficking say, I was trafficked and forced to go into this motel room or this movie set. I got raped by men and it, it made itself on a popular porn site. It's got millions of views. Every time someone's watching that, they're watching me being raped. So we have to have an honest conversation with men and say, guys, we are better than this. 
And you need to push against all that. And it starts within your own heart and mind and soul and then reach out to your community. So, you know, I always, people ask me, what can I do? And I always say, I don't know, what can you do? Do that. Do the thing that you can do. Right. What What are you good at? Do you have money? Give money. You don't have any money? Okay. Are you a graphic designer? Great. Volunteer some pro bono graphic designing for a local anti-trafficking agency. Um, what can you do? Do that. And step one is to get a little more educated. Uh, go on a Google search and, uh, you know, pull up different organizations and things. Learn about it like you did, Mickey, a little bit. Buy this book. And um, and we will outline what to do. But it starts with self. Kingdom of self has to be torn down and built up in an authentic, powerful, strong way and then lead other men in your community in that same direction. We get enough men doing that. Uh, we got a shot at this thing. Definitely. And, and I'm wondering, you know, where do you draw the line between what we call healthy sexuality and, and toxic sexuality? So where does it start? Well, we could start with the word consent. Right. Um, <laughs> mutual yeah. consent would be bullet point number one. Uh, there is no consent in the trafficking realm. None of them want to be there, especially the children. They're not allowed to consent to a felony committed against them. The federal age of consent for sex is 18. So by definition, they don't consent That's to right. it. It's a rape. So we start there. Um, so as long as there's consent, uh, you know, there's different views, you know, uh, certainly one group of people, a faith community might, might say you should be married. Other people wouldn't say that, but I'd say after consent, um, it should be something that is building the other person up. You're there to give, not take. Uh, when you're taking something in life, whether it's sexually or otherwise, that would be something that would be uh, harmful oftentimes. So yeah. if you're there to give, that would be healthy masculinity and, and a sexual experience. I don't know, Jess, what do you think? I think that's great. I think that's great. And like just dialing back a little bit too with like the sexual activities or whatever the case is, always remembering like when going to the strip clubs or viewing porn or whatever, wherever there's an adult industry, there is a child industry, an underground child industry, and they're not far apart. And so like, you know, a lot of it too is what I've seen when I think I've heard it's a, a high number, but I've actually seen as I've grown up where there were young men that are nine, 10, 11 years old that are being shown, shown pornography um by their fathers because they're like you need to know what this is and this is a rite of passage and it was done to me and it was done to my grant my dad and you know where it's like cutting those those ties cutting those toxic ties because what i've noticed too is when people view the pornography they tend to think that sex is like that you know what i mean and so that's not yeah. healthy you know what i mean um, like those, one of those things where it's like an unrealistic expectation of your partner. We're in a time of like hooking up instead of hooking up, like get to know people, get to want to see if this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Is it, are you my person as opposed to, yeah, let's just hook up tonight and it's all good. And I'm gonna call you out of your name or whatever. And I'm gonna go on about my business. Definitely. I mean, purchasing people is just not a healthy part of sex. You know, what a, what two, like Alan said, what two consulting adults, consenting adults do behind closed doors, that is their business. You're in a kink, you're in a vanilla, whatever that I don't, that is not our business. As long as no one's getting hurt, <laughs> like that is your business. But when it's, it, you have to be careful of what you're taking in versus when you go behind that closed door and what you're pouring out to your partner. So we want to make sure that it doesn't border the lines of assault that you are respecting that person, that you're respecting yourself. Um, you know, and I, in the life, I've just come across a lot of people that had unreal, unrealistic ideas of what sex was like. And a lot of them were married men 
And these were things that they would never do to their wives, you know? And so it's like, why do you think it's okay to do it to me or to someone else? You know, and those things have a lasting effect on us too. Being exploited in a lot of different ways. I'm not going to speak to like how Alan said, there's the small number that as adults, fully grown adults, like they're, you know, choosing to continue on or whatever it is, but I'm speaking, especially for the kids and for our transitional age youth where, which are technically adults, but they're still our children. Um, you know, those things last with us for the rest of our lives. I'm, I'll be 37 years old. And I started when I was a kid, I, I was exploited as a young child. Those sexual activities that were forced upon me and that are forced upon our kids, those are things that follow us till the day we die. So being aware of what you're inflicting on someone, what you're taking in, and then what you're going to and, and going to inflict on someone else that has a lasting cause. And people will say, well, she's fast, she's this, she's that, she wanted it. No means yes. Like that whole everything, especially because they believe commercially sexually exploited people in general are less than, are just this thing to be bought and sold, are sex addicts and right. whatever negative thing you can think of. So they're like, oh, they're fine with it. They're like these pornography chicks in here. I'm trying to censor my language. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but sure. it's like sure. they do like the things that you see. Um, on a regular basis, it, it's still not consent. We have to do this, especially us having an exploiter. We have to accept this. We have to take this on. We have to perform this way. It's not choice. It's force. And so just keeping that in mind, if you're going to have sex, go have sex with your partner. If you have some type of fantasy or whatever, have that discussion with your partner and see if you both agree are on the same, you know, on the same page. The consent is huge. So just adding a little bit to that. That's what healthy sex looks like. Yeah, thank you. you that, I think it's very, very useful to talk about this because, you know, I, as, as I was kind of doing my own research and I, I love your call, you know, like maybe maybe the first step is just, you know, come on, man, go grow up and start looking into this and, and, and learn some facts and just understand what's going on. And, you know, it's pretty confusing what's going on. I, I, I found this um, organization which is um, talking about, you know, the, the differences between sex work and um, human trafficking, and they, they kind of go, yeah, well, when adults choose to do this, and, and it's consensual, and they, they're, they're exchanging and offering a service for, for a value, which is typically money, then, you know, that's, that's okay, and that should be legalized. So they, they mentioned that, you know, some people might turn to sex work because of poverty or family circumstances, immigration status or drugs, you know, people who choose to be in it, it should be okay. And it's it's a really kind of interesting question. Is it okay? Or should we kind of fight against porn? Because porn is basically, you know, the, the first step where I began to think about sexuality as something else. When I began to think about women as, as products rather than human beings. And then I start thinking that it may be okay or it might be okay with this person. Well, I was just going to say... Uh, what we're as a society we have to get our mind around is detoxifying the exploitive culture that all the weeds are growing out of one of those big weeds is human trafficking but there's an exploitive culture which makes that possible 
which makes trafficking possible. Like we right. said before, the song lyrics, demeaning women and sex, all those things feed into it. So I don't know if there's one exact answer, but there's a lot of things, a lot of weeds in that patch. Uh, pornography is absolutely an on-ramp to future buyers and, and future victims. Um, there's a desensitization process through song lyrics, through media messaging, through a home environment, through pornography. That stuff that we take in mm-hmm. desensitizes us. And so when one of these children gets into a relationship with a guy with bad intentions, and maybe he starts asking her to do certain things, she it might not be the worst thing that's ever happened to her at that point, because it's already happened. This yeah. exploitive culture has already damaged her, whether it's in the home or from outside the home. So to answer your question directly, I would absolutely destroy all pornography because it's exploiting women and men too, but it's exploiting and harming women. And a lot of them are children. And it's, it's, it's creating a inaccurate and inauthentic picture of human sexuality. It was never meant to be a gang rape. There was never meant to be something forced. There was never meant to be an injury. All those things happen in pornography. Now, somebody might say, no, there's something called ethical porn. I've heard that term lately, like ethical porn. I suppose they've highly vetted the actors. They've highly vetted the consensual and they made sure there's no diseases and all those kinds of things. Uh, someone could have to make a choice on that. What I can tell you is there's a, there's a documentary coming out pretty soon. They're in the, they've finished it. A friend of mine spent about five years. It's called Beyond Fantasy. Look for it, Mickey, when it comes out. They're mm. negotiating distribution and, and all that. And right. he literally interviewed everybody in the porn industry from the, the high level, well-known people that created what we think of as porn and the early directors, the actors, everybody. And he said something really chilling to me. He said, what I learned is most, not some, not many, but most of the people you see on screen are there against their will. They're experiencing a form of coercion, a form of trafficking, and and they don't want to be doing it. But for whatever reason, I have a whole other podcast about that if you wanted sometime. Uh, but the short answer is that they're against their will. So my call to men is, guys, okay, non-consensual sex is called rape. You're going to turn on your camera, your, your phone, your tablet, your computer after hours, maybe when your wife, your girlfriend's asleep or not home, and you're going to watch someone get raped. And that's going to be, you're going to have enjoyment of that. You're going to help monetize that. So yes, we can't trust who's getting raped and who's there consensually. There's no disclaimer. And so you got to shut the whole thing down, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I see, I can see the logic and you guys started speaking both at the same time. So I, I'm sure <laughs> Jess wanted to say something. <laughs> I, I definitely just tagging on with Alan or whatever. So from the reverse side of it too, is we don't know who that porn is being showed to. And a lot of times it's being shown to children under the age. And I've heard of nine and 10 year olds taking in this stuff. And then on top of that, where there's a majority of those that are doing the pornography, um, that they're being raped, they're not comfortable, they're being, you know, just they're going through the ringer, you know what I mean? So I mean, it's not exactly a positive and always remembering where there's an adult industry, there is a child industry. I remember coming up Um, as a young lady under the age of 18 and being propositioned by some of the well-known porn actors back in the day because they used to drive around the hood and pick up girls and take them to one of the nearby motels. They call their people in and they start start filming. I almost fell into that category, you know, as a 17-year-old, as a 14-year-old. So, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's pornography, like Alan said, it's just, it's, 
it's so it's so loaded. It's so many different things. Now, for those that are saying 100%, because there is um, a population out, out here, you know, that are fully adult people that say, these are things that I really want to do for whatever their reason is, or however we look at it, this is saying, this is something we want to do. And usually it is poverty. It is geography. It is like making sure like those basic needs are met. Um, and sometimes a lot of times, if you've been in the life for a very long time, you lack some day-to-day skills. And I'm not saying that for all of them. I'm just saying some of the reasons growing into an adult, there was some skills that I lacked myself and it was easier for me to move into dancing, even though I had previously danced under age two, but it was easier for me to move into dancing because I lacked certain skills. So would I say that was my choice? Yeah, to a degree it was my choice, but I didn't have any other skills in order for me to go out and get a job, you know? And some people are like, I don't want to work a nine to five. This works for me. This is lucrative for me. I'm able to take care of my kids. That's fine. But the biggest thing here, what we're saying is it's unhealthy for our children. Our children are being being pulled into this, you know? And these young children that are being pulled into this, you know, we're kind of cutting some of their options as they grow into adults. We want them to grow into fully functioning adults. If you want to be a doctor, go be a doctor. You want to be an astronaut, go do that. You want to be an advocate, go do that. You want to be a judge, go do that. You want to be a singer, go do that. Whatever it is, like, we want those options to be open. We don't want our kids to just feel as though this is all I'm ever going to be. This is all I'm ever going to be able to do. And living in the subculture of commercial sexual exploitation and whatever else you want to call it, it's very, very difficult and sometimes impossible to step away and away and out of that completely. And even when you do, you're still left with all the scars that that life has given you, whether you've been in it for six months or 12 years or 10 years or whatever the case is, those scars live with you for the rest of your life. And so am I pro or against? I'm not really either because mm-hmm. I can understand with some of my, my survivor sisters that are like, this is the work that I'm choosing to do and I'm going with it and I'm never going to step in their way. But I am going to step in the way of people that are commercially sexually exploiting children. And these children are growing into adults that are having a hard time functioning in society. Um, you know, that that's kind of where I draw the line. And I, I think, Mickey, it's yeah. notable to just say that we're not on a crusade to end porn, to end any one of these things. Our crusade, if you will, is to get into the hearts and minds of men, because all of this is a supply and demand economic relationship. If the demand goes away and most of that demand is men, then the supply will go away. So we we don't want to get it backwards. We don't Mm -hmm. want to try to end this thing and that thing out there because that's, those things are happening because of a man's diseased mind and heart. And he's probably experienced a lot of troubles in his life and he's looking for a release of some kind of a fix an addiction, all those things. If we can, if we can get men going in the right direction uh, guess what? Strip clubs are going to start being, uh, you're not going to be able to find one because it's mostly men sitting in there. And uh, the pornography channels are going to go away because it's, well, there are a lot of women, but it's mostly men. All those things go away if we get men right. Right. Yeah. No, I I, I totally get your message. And, and I think, you know, the on-ramp idea is very valid. And I'm I'm also hearing, you know, what, what Jess says and, you know, like sometimes it's a choice, but, you know, what kind of choice is that? It's a choice which is forced upon you by basically the lack of other choices, right? Like that's the one thing I can I can do and and, and make some money. And but but if I could 
have access to another job. If I could have other skills, maybe I would choose something else. So we should be focusing on that part. Um, Mickey, there's a, uh, just real quick uh, just to that point before we move on. There was a, an international study done. I want to say it was 104 countries. I could be wrong on that. But they determined that um, 89% of women that are in somehow the sex industry, they said, in their words, they want to get out, but they don't see any other options. So what is choice without options? Like, you can have a glass of water or a glass of water. Which one would you like? You know, in, in their mind, in their upbringing and the abuse that they've had, they don't see any other option. Right. But they have choice. But there's no other option. So what choice is that? So that's just to reinforce what you just said. Maybe there is technically a, a choice per se, but when you don't see any other options for whatever those reasons are, you really don't have a choice. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And 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 I also agree. You know what what Jess was saying about the scars. You know that's that's one of the most painful parts of this is that you know maybe you agreed and you know you, you got paid for the gangbang, but but it does scar you. I, and I, I can attest to that as a as a as a therapist that there's no way that you can go through something like that and and be unaffected by it. So it's gonna scar you and and you know by watching it, we are helping someone get scarred. And is that really what we want to do? Is a is a really good <laughs> a really yeah. deep and like, important question. Yeah. Like guys, like like men, fellas, like little boy talk here how how pathetic can we get when we literally have to pay another person some money in order to get intimacy from them like something's broken in you man who's doing that how pathetic are we where we can't have a fulfilling healthy sexual relationship with our partner our wife or spouse whoever that we have to watch other people do it it's like <laughs> guys I mean, pull back, men. Uh, we are contributing to the destruction of others, and oftentimes those are children. Is that what you want written on your gravestone? This is our urgent message we have uh, to shake figuratively or literally <laughs> uh, the men in our community right. and say, come on, yeah. guys, take a look at what we know um, and be better, be a lot better and do it quickly. Yeah, we can do better than that. And uh, I, j just as sort of a maybe a, a quick closing round for us, you know, when I heard about you guys and the book and, you know, I started reading into it, I was like, yeah, I mean, there is something called human trafficking and it's a criminal act. And, you know, there are criminals who are committing it. And, you know, these guys are calling our attention to all those criminals. And as, as I kind of dove more into it, you know, I, I, I was beginning to think that, you know, it's yes, it's definitely committed by criminals. But as you say, you know, there, there is there is a demand. Right. And, and those people are not seen as criminals. Maybe we like to think of them as mentally deranged or, you know, like they are people with mental problems. But I think the problem is much bigger as, as we are speaking about it. It's it's essentially whether or not we look at sex as, you know, an expression of love or, you know, an, an appreciation between two consenting people in, you know, doing something together because they love each other, as opposed to, you know, an aggression that you commit, commit out of violence on another person or on a child, not to say. So, so that's how I began to think about it. Thanks to, thanks to you.
I love it. It's uh, the transformation's happening one man at a time. That's what we're looking at. One man at a time. And I would say, and I don't know if this is your last point here, your thought, but the biggest mistake that men could make who are listening right now would be, oh, I'm not going on my phone and booking an appointment. I'm not picking up a girl on the street. So this isn't for me, right? You're not talking to me. Right. And what, what we're trying to communicate is that men We're talking to all of you, all of us. I'm a man. I'm talking to every one of us. We have been part of this problem in one way or another. We have fed this beast, this exploitive culture. And if we haven't actively gone somewhere or paid some money for something, guess what? We looked the other way. We turned a blind eye and we passively let it flourish right under our noses. And that makes us every bit as complicit as the people who are actually perpetrating. So this is for every single man. Every single man needs to stop and look in the mirror and say, Am I buying sex? No. Okay. Did you allow it to happen in your society? Uh, I guess I did. Okay. Then this is for you. This is for everybody. Let's go, man. It's time to go. <laughs> we don't have a day to miss. We don't have a minute to waste. Yeah, that's that. That's a good call, call to action. Thank you. Jess, any any suggestion to, you know, I I often say that, you know, the people who listen to this show are people that who already have kids and likely their kids are, you know, maybe teenagers. Any suggestions to those dads? Be present. Be present in your children's lives, not just physically present, be emotionally and mentally present. Um, You know, have the hard conversations with your kids, get the books. Um, One of the things I think one of Alan's was one of your friends that got a book and like had a discussion, read some of the book and started having discussions at the table with his sons. Like have the hard conversations. You can tailor them however you need to, uh, you for age appropriateness or whatever the case is. Um, show your daughters um, how to be treated. Show your daughters how they you treat their mother, whether you're with them or not. You know what I mean? Like it starts at home. Yeah. That makes a really big difference in how this person is going to grow up and form to be. You know, have the conversations. Be present. If you see something, say something, get up and do something. Men by nature are protectors. So why not tap into who you are naturally? You know, I've always wished that there were more men out there to be protective. Am I a weak individual? No, but I do understand the role of a man and I'm not a man. So don't expect me to be all, you know what I mean? Stand up and be a protector the best way you can. I'm not saying put yourself in danger, But, you know, if you see something, call the police, say something. If you see someone being mistreated, say you go out into a restaurant and there's a young lady being called dumb and stupid by her boyfriend or vice versa. The lady is calling her boyfriend dumb and stupid. It's okay to say, hey, chill out. Like, that's not okay. Like, say something. That's the biggest thing you could do. And then act. With your kids, be present. Those are the things. That's the start out for me. I didn't have those things coming up. So if I would have had that, you know, uh, permanent male figure in my life that was like, let's go. Come on, mm-hmm. I'm going to show you. No one's going to touch you. I've got you. You're protected. I see the difference between daughters that have been raised by fathers. And I see the difference of children that have been raised by just their mothers. Us as mothers, we can give so much in everything, but we're not the man and we're not the father. I've seen like my I have a sister that has, you know, been raised by her father. And her confidence is through the roof. Mm. Her yeah. everything is through the roof. She's like, yeah, because my dad, no, he's not going to go for that. Me, on the other hand, I'm tough. I'm like, yeah, what? Say something. 
but it's different. It's not the confidence. It's the survival because I didn't have a man exactly backing me up my whole life. So be there for your kids. It may, everything may not be perfect, but be there for your kids. That's where it starts. Teach your sons how to treat others, treat your daughters, how to respect themselves and treat others as well. That's where you go. So I'm a boom. All right. Thank you, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. Thank you, thank you, thank you both for being here. Alan, is is there any last um, words or ideas that you wanted to inject into the conversation? Well, I, I you know, I've, I've already said quite a bit of it, but I would just say this isn't somebody else's problem. It's not a problem ten thousand miles away. This is a problem right here in our society, in our culture, with our kids, our American-born citizens. Um, we can go and do all the work around the world we want, and let's do that. But what about the kids growing up in our own school system, our own backyard? And as I said earlier, man, um, we have all one way or the other been part of the problem. And so now we need to all one way or the other be part of the solution. And we humbly submit this book, Men Fight For Me, found at the website fightforme.net. We we humbly submit that as uh, step number one. Uh, there's a lot of education in there, a lot of survivors, not just Jess, but others that are sharing a lot of insights and their experiences and um, there's a, a gentle nudge, or maybe not so gentle nudge from me um, to men. Um, and I, I think it's noteworthy to say that uh, proceeds from this book are benefiting um, survivors of sex trafficking. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to pay some of the bills of keeping a website running, that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I hope that a million people buy these books and we can really change the lives of uh, a lot of these survivors that are that have participated in it. So uh, buy a book for every man you know and know that it's being put to good use. <laughs> Yeah. Good luck to both of you. And, uh, you know, uh, lots of blessings. I think, you know, the world definitely needs this work and both of you and this book. I You definitely have my pledge that I'm going to get the book. And, and I'm also realizing, you know, I wanted to end with this, you know, sort of my own confession that, you know, when I have two boys and as, as they grow up, you know, it's harder and harder to have these conversations because they don't necessarily, yeah, it's it's an unpleasant conversation. Like, why do we have to talk to why do I have to talk to my dad about sex? Like, I don't want to talk to my dad about sex. And I don't, so <clears throat> I need to kind of have that conversation and, and, you know, really explore this a little bit with them because it's never too late. I mean, it's, and it's, it's in all of our life. So it's, it's not somewhere else. It's, it's, it starts at home, as you said. So thank you for uh, opening my eyes and hopefully a lot of people's eyes who, who listen to this podcast. Really great to be with you, Mickey. Thank you for shining your light on this topic uh, by having us on. And send me and Jessica an email and tell us how the book goes and how the conversations go with your boys. We'd love to know. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. you for letting us be on your platform. It's awesome. All right. My pleasure. Thank you so much again for listening to the show. I hope you had a good time and you come back to us. Please don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to give us a good rating. If you're interested in some individual coaching, check out www.mantorshift.com mentorshift.com. And also don't forget to get your mindset map at www.mindsetmaps.com. So it's www.mindsetmaps.com. And I hope to connect with you virtually pretty soon again. Bye for now.